If you have your Bibles, you can flip to Psalms chapter 1, actually. Or, I'm sorry, Psalms chapter 2. Psalms chapter 2, verses 1 through 6 is where we'll, where we'll be to set us up. And I'm praying that God is setting us up right now to mess us up with his word. And, and this is what it says. It says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and he will terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Father, soften our hearts, open our ears to hear what the Spirit is saying today so that we will have lasting change in our lives. I pray that we would leave this place different than the way that we came in by your word. And I declare that in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Before you're seated, high five five people and tell them this, delight in his word. Tell them, delight in his word, delight in his word. Today, I just wanna, I'm gonna talk to you guys a little bit about the word of God. Okay, I want to talk to you about that for a little bit because, man, a couple weeks ago, I heard a word and, man, this word messed me up. This word I heard, man, last, it left a lasting imprint on my life. You know, there are times and seasons that I've found that when the word of the Lord comes to you at certain times, it will transform you. It will literally change who you are. It will, it will challenge every part of who you are. And this is exactly what this, what this word did to me. And I'm telling you, I'll never be the same again because of it. Not that I felt like I was bad in the first place, but how many of you realize that God is taking us from one degree of faith to the next degree of faith? That's, that's what he's trying to do. He's constantly conforming us into the image of, of Christ, right? So if we think we've achieved it or we reached it like God can't change us anymore, we're, we're in big trouble, <laughs> Very big trouble. But man, this, this word changed me. The prophet Jeremiah says in Jeremiah chapter 20, verse 9, he says, his word. Someone shout his word. His word. Talking about the word of God, by the way. His word. And listen, listen to me. There's a bunch of people out there giving a bunch of different words. Okay. There's a bunch of people saying a bunch of different words out there in the world. So it's so important to know that it's his word, not just a word, not even our word, but it's, but it's his word. See, we've got to learn how to shut off and shut out all other words and fix the eyes of our hearts on his word. Man, we've got to learn how to tune out to the, to the, to the word of the world and tune in to the word of the Lord. That's what we have to learn to do. It's, it's so important for us to understand this. And, and, and here's why it's important for us to understand this. The word of God is what blesses God. 
Hear me. The word of God is what blesses God. See, God is not impressed with our words. He's just not. God's not, not, not impressed by, by how we articulate something. God's impressed by his word. Do you know why? Because his word is perfect. His word never returns void. His word is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides bone from marrow and spirit from soul. His word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our, our path. What impresses God is the word of God. That's what blesses, that's what blesses God. He's not impressed by our talents. He's not impressed by our abilities. But let me tell you what impresses God. What impresses God is when the people of God have the word of God stored up as treasure in their hearts. This is what blesses and impresses the God of heaven and earth. His word. And man, we've got to be a people who have his word as our delight. It's got to be our delight. So, so look, if we want to receive the blessings of God, then obedience to the word of God is necessary. It is necessary, obedience to his word. If we want the favor of God and the blessings of God to rain down on our lives, then man, we need to be a people who bless God by live according to the word of God. That's what will bless God. See, I think actually way too often uh, the church were, were too impressed with our own words. And so we ignore the word of God. We ignore his word. And, and, and because this is true, we, we haven't experienced the fullness of the power of God. We haven't experienced the fullness of the blessings of God because we've ignored God's, God's word. The other day, this is what the Lord spoke to me. He says, the church, because the church has made church about people, the church has ignored my word. And how true is that? It was so convicting to my heart. So convicting. But because it is, it is very true. The church has made the church about people when the church is supposed to be about God. Newsflash. And, and look, because we're, we're people, we don't like to hear that it isn't about us. We just don't like that. We like that it's all about us. At least I do. Ask my wife at home. I'm like, it's all about me, babe. You know, it, we're selfish by nature as people. And so we don't like to hear that something isn't about, isn't about us, but it's the, but it's the truth. But because we've made it, because we've made the church about people, what we do is we do things in hopes to attract more people. That, that's, that's why we, we do some of the things that we do. And so we see churches singing secular worship songs during the worship set, or they won't sing as many songs in the worship set, or they won't preach too long during the, the sermon, right? And they won't do an altar call. Why? Because that upsets people. That, that makes people uncomfortable. So we're just going to remove it from all of church, even though the word of God says to do those things, even though. So we ignore the word of God because we're more worried about attracting people when we should be worried about attracting God. Because listen to me, people are not in great need of more people. People are in great need of God. Am I saying that people don't need people? That's not what I'm saying. Hear me, that's not what I'm saying. Yeah, sure, I need people around me to hold me accountable, but you know what I really need? I need God. I need God to show up in my life and prove himself real in my life and have a tangible 
tangible presence of who he is in my life. And see, the, the, Bible, the Bible is clear. It, it tells us that what attracts God is the word of God. It's not our lights. It's not our cameras. It's not our, our haze machine. It's not, it's not our cafe. It's, it's, it's not that. It's his word. His word is attractive to him. So we've got to stop making church about people and start making church about his word. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word remains. We've got to make it about his word because listen to me, if we attract God, we will attract people. It's just the way it happens. See, Jesus, he, he says this, he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. If he builds his church, well, he builds his church upon the word of God because he is the word of God. Amen. The apostle Paul says it this way, one plants another waters, but God is the one that produces the growth. Jesus says, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men, all women, all children unto myself. Every one of these verses, and I could rattle off several more, but every one of them points to the fact that if we make church about God and we attract God, God will be the one to attract the people. It won't have to be our, our abilities and our talents that attract them. So man, the church needs to, to be attractive to God. And the way that we are attractive to God is by making about his word. That's how we attract him. And the prophet Jeremiah, he, he knows this. He knows this. And so he says, his word, shout his word. One more time, his word. In my heart. He doesn't say in your heart, because I don't know what God's doing in your heart. But he says, for me, his word in my heart has become like a burning fire and it's shut up inside of my bones. His word has consumed me. His word now has provoked me to desire him more than anything and anyone else. That's what his word has done. And this is exactly what his word will do to us. It will cause our hearts to be set on fire for him, completely consumed by him. And man, I, I tell you, man, ever since I, I heard that word a couple weeks ago, that's what it's done to me. It's completely consumed me. And, and you know, it, it's kind of funny because when you say stuff like this, like in the church, Christianese is like, amen, brother, good job, hallelujah. That's awesome that that's happening in your life. But can I tell you, it's not all that fun. It's actually not all that, it's not all that great sometimes because it literally messes everything up in your life. Completely messes it up. Prophet Jeremiah was not happy about it, that the word of the Lord came to him and it got in his heart and it was like a burning fire that it consumed him. He wasn't happy about it because man, it messes everything up. When God comes and, and puts his word in your heart, man, everything in your life changes. How you see changes. Man, the way you pray changes. How you live is different. Everything becomes different. When God sets your heart on fire with his word. All the things that you used to take pleasure in will no longer be pleasurable to you anymore. And I'm not even talking about bad things. It can be good things. It can be fine things. It can be, you know, whatever things I like to do, da, 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 da. But you'll no longer, that will no longer be your pleasure. I'm not saying you won't enjoy maybe, do, but you won't, you won't be pleasure. It won't be pleasure. The word of God will be your pleasure. When you have the word of God sets your life on fire, you'll no longer delight in the things that you, you once used to delight in. You just will not. 
Because the fire of God will illuminate your eyes. The fire of God will illuminate your ears and will illuminate your heart. And you'll start seeing things completely different. All of a sudden, you'll start to realize, wait a minute, these things that I once prioritized, that I jockeyed around to make sure I got in, is no longer even a part of the equation. Because the only thing that matters is being in his word. Everything else comes second. You'll start to realize that those things that you once thought was meaningful has now become meaningless. All of a sudden, you'll have the revelation of King Solomon at the end of his life. Everything is meaningless. It's all meaningless except the word of the Lord. This is what the word of God has the ability to do. It has the ability to mess you up. Come on, tell your neighbor, I hope you get messed up. Tell him. For real, I've been praying that over you all week, man. You walked into a, a Holy Ghost okie doke. Like, I, I hope he lights you up. <laughs> you walk out of here and your whole life <clears throat> is changed forever. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus says this. He says, for where your treasure is, <clears throat> there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is, give me a second. Amen. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Proverbs 23 verse seven says this, as a man thinketh in his heart, so, so is he. See, it's so important for us to treasure the word of God, to desire the word of God, to delight in the word of God so that then we will live according to the word of God. So that we will begin to live out of the word of God. And look, I'm not talking about just talking about the word of God, right? Like just talking about the stories that are in the Bible and about Jesus who's in the Bible. No, no, no. I'm talking about living in such a way that you're living proof that the living word of God will live in you and through you. This is what impresses God. See, see actually what we, we find in the church today is we will talk a lot about the word, but are we living the word? There, there's a difference between the two things. And listen, my fear, my fear for myself and, and for the church as a whole is very simple. I fear that we've adopted a churchy language. And so we've figured out how to talk churchy. We can say a bunch of words that's in the word like amen and blessing and favor and fire and glory. And we can say these words that are in the word. But are we living the word? Have we encountered the living word of God? Or have we adopted a, the language of God without the encounter with God? I find that a lot of us have memorized a lot of scriptures out of the word. We've memorized them. And that's all good. But are we living them? Does our life reflect his word? See, if we're around the church long enough, if we put ourselves around the church long enough, we can figure out the verbiage of the church so that we can just kind of blend in and kind of just mingle in there and nobody really messes with us because I got all the lingo down. I got my hands raised and I'm yelling amen and glory. And so we just kind of blend in to the mix. But has the church been completely consumed by his word? Are, are, we, are we delighting in the word? See, we, we have to break past and break through from just having the language of the word of God and break into 
being a representation of the living word of God, where, where God's word is living in us and moving right through us every single day of our lives. Man, we gotta be a people who allow God's word to penetrate the deepest parts of our hearts. And all we think about is the word of God, where the word of God literally becomes our entertainment. Did you know the Bible is not boring? The word of God is not boring, we are. It's so true. It really gets frustrating that we put God on trial. Like we gotta spruce up the word. We gotta do something fun with the word to attract people. It is the word of God. We don't have to spruce it up, man. It's enough. It's always been enough. Is it, is it our source of entertainment? Man, we gotta be a people who will grab a hold of his word every single day with both hands, with both hands and say, God, I'm not letting you go until I know you. I'm not letting you go in the word of God. I'm not getting up from here until I'm infatuated with you, until the fire of God has filled me in such a way I never thought possible. I'll stay right here. I'll stay right here until that happens. If I got a call off work, if I, I don't really care, God, I just need you. And I need you to reveal to me who you are through your word. Man, we've got to catch Jeremiah chapter 20, verse nine, we have to. His word in my heart has become like a burning fire shut up inside of my bones. Because hear me, the day and the age that we are living in and the times that we are walking into right now demands this of you. It demands it of me that our source, our soul source is the word of God. Man, we've got to be rooted Rooted in his word, we have to be. Because if we're not and we're listening to other words, man, we'll be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, by every storm of this life, if we're not rooted in his word. And I tell you, I believe with all my heart that God revealed to me in Psalms chapter two, verse one through six, the why behind the what? The why behind the what? why the things are happening the way that they're happening right now. Why is everything so chaotic and why is it it's so uncertain? Because the nations are raging and the leaders and the rulers of this world have been plotting against God and his anointed. There is so much hate, so much division, and so much strife over across every sphere of life. We see it in the political sphere. We see it in the religious sphere. We see it in the, in the, in the racial sphere. It's everywhere. And why? Why is it so uncertain? And why is it so chaotic? And why is all this happening right now? Psalms chapter two spells it right out for us. King David prophesies about this and and this is what he said. We're going to read it again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The king of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. In other words, the leaders of this world and the rulers of this world, they've made their decision. They want nothing to do with God. They want nothing to do with the word of God, 
period. They just do. They've made their decision and we can see it. Church, the reason the why is happening to us right now, it's because the nations are raging and the people are plotting. And every message that the Lord has been given lately up to this point, it's all been pointing to this text. Every word God has given up to this moment in time is pointing us to the why behind the what. We've talked about the what is happening, but why is it happening? Because the nations are raging and the peoples are plotting. The kings of the earth have taken their stand and they've set themselves and the rulers have taken counsel together to come against the Lord and his, and his anointed. See, it's good to know what is happening, but it's equally good to know why it's happening so that we know how to make it through the things that we are dealing with on an everyday basis. If the word of God cannot become applicable to your life, what good is it? What good is it gonna be if it's just all concepts and not something steadfast that can take us through the storms of this life? And you've heard me say this before and I'll say it again, the days of fluffy Christianity is over, it's over, it's over. We had our run, it was good while it lasted, I guess. The days where the church can remain neutral is over. It's, it's, it's over. The days where the church just makes church about people and not about God, it has to be over. And let me tell you why it has to be over. Because if it's not over and we keep making church about people, the enemy will chew us up and spit us out in a heartbeat. I promise you that. And he won't skip a beat. He'll just keep on rolling. But man, if the people of God start making church about God, start making their life about God, he ain't got nothing. He can't do nothing to us. See, we've got to realize something. Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, we've got to realize it. The kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force, period. I'm telling you, if we're going to live according to the kingdom of God and we're going to make it to the kingdom, we better start living violently. You better get violent. And do I mean against people? No, I'm not talking about being violent towards people, okay? Mean to people? No, don't be mean to people. We love people. I'm talking about being violent, though, towards the, the enemy's agenda. That's what I'm talking about. We've got to get violent in our prayer time. Listen to me, our prayers should not be weak. They shouldn't be weak. It shouldn't be like, oh, Jesus, please this and please do that. And oh, I hope this happens, Jesus. No. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that the heavens suffer violence and the violent take it by force. Jesus says this, I've given you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Binding and loosening is no weak prayer. It's not a please type prayer. It's a declarative prayer. I declare in Jesus' name that no weapon formed against me shall prosper, period. I declare that I am yours and you are mine, Jesus. I declare it with confidence and with a boldness. I declare my children are his and not the enemy cannot have them. You are not allowed. Man, we got to get violent. We got to understand the authority we have through the word of God. Man, when we feel weak, it's not, oh, Father, please help me feel strong. No, it's Father, I declare your word right back at you. For when I am weak, your strength is made perfect. So I declare that your strength would come running through this, this mortal body in Jesus' name. You declare the word back to God. 
God, you said in your word that you will take the weak things of the world to shame the strong. You tell me that you'll take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And so I bind every stinking plot that the enemy is putting against me right now in Jesus' name. The church sitting back being fluffy. Playing two-hand touch. He's playing full contact football. The enemy ain't playing. But here we are, we're playing. But we gotta get violent in our prayer time. And listen to me, man, there's a lot of anxiety happening right now in, in, in people's lives. And man, it's tough, I'm, I hear you, it is, it's crazy out there. But, but listen to me, when anxiety comes on you, you, you don't sit there and deal with it and figure out how to walk through it. No, 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 you bind it. You have authority over it. That's what the Bible says. Be anxious for nothing but in everything. In prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Man, I thank you, Jesus. Your peace is upon me for today. I bind that worthless devil away from me. And anxiety, you have to go. You got no right to be here in my life at all or over my family's life or over my church's life in Jesus' name. Man, we gotta start being a violent people instead of a weak people. We gotta be violent in our prayer time. We're not to be... To be, to be weak in our prayer time. There should be no weakness in our prayer. Meekness, but not weakness. Humility, yes, but confidence, yes. Bold, bold as lions. Because hear me, if we give an inch to the enemy, he will take a mile. I promise you that. I've watched it happen in my life time and time again. You give him an inch, he takes a mile. Satan's not satisfied with just a little bit. He wants it all. That why, that's why we can't give him any, none. You can't have anything here at all. See, the rulers and the leaders of this world, they've, they've taken their stand against the Lord and against his anointed. They've made their choice. And we can see it everywhere we look, unless we would just want to close our eyes and stick our heads in the sand and act like nothing's going on. Everything's still the same as it always been. It isn't. You can say it is and you can think it, it, ain't, it isn't. Everywhere you look, you can see they're trying to remove God from every facet and every aspect of life, period. From TV shows to movies, from magazines to books, you name it, they are doing it right now. Why? Because they've met together and they've taken counsel together and they said, you know what? We got to remove God. We have to so that we can take out the people. And this is, this is what King David is prophesying about. The kings of the earth have set themselves and the rulers have taken their counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. Now notice there, the word anointed is capitalized because it's talking about Jesus. David is prophesying about the soon coming Christ. That's, that's what he's doing. See, what we gotta, we gotta understand is that Jesus is the word of God become flesh. The word of God literally wrapped himself in human flesh and came to this earth and died for you and for me and then rose again on the third day and now he's seated in heavenly places at the right hand of the Father right now with the name that is above every name. The Bible calls him the word of God and Revelation says in the name by which he is called is the word of God. See, God is attracted to his son. This is why God is attracted to his word. Listen to me, we gotta get this in our hearts, man. Listen, behind these pages is a person. 
Behind these pages is a person. This is why it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Behind these pages is the person of God and his name is Jesus. It's all pointing us to Jesus, period. Every single bit of it, 66 books, all trying to reveal the glory of the king. Every bit of it, from Genesis 1-1 to Revelations 22-21, it's all about Jesus. That's why we got that there. It's all about him. And this is why we must be consumed by his word. Because if we're consumed by his word, we'll automatically become consumed by him. Overtaken by his beauty and his glory. See, David is is letting us know that in these Psalms, man. He's letting us know it. He's saying the world's going to come after God, after his word, after his anointed. Why? To try and hide Jesus from those in the world. Do you know how many years the enemy was able to blind me to who Jesus was? And man, he kicked my butt for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden I met him and my life changed forever. Forever. They're trying, the enemy's trying. He's removing, he's removing the word of God so that Jesus will not be revealed. He goes on in verse four through six and and, and look what he what he says in response to why it's happening, in response to what's happening, he says, he who sits in heaven laughs. I love that. God is sitting in heaven and he's laughing. The Lord holds them in derision, means he scoffs at them and he is making fun of the enemy and their futile attempts. That's what he says. He's up there just chilling, laughing. Like, you go ahead, you worthless devil. I'm going to take what you meant for harm and I'm going to turn it to their good. So you keep on messing around. Did you know this? The Bible says this, that the enemy will have to pay you back a hundredfold what, he take, what he's t- taken from you. Do you know I declared over my life? You worthless devil, you took 15 years of my life. I declare it back a hundredfold in Jesus' name. So God is up there laughing. He's like, go ahead, do your worst because I got their back. I'll take what the enemy meant for harm and I'll use it for their good and my glory. And it goes on, it says in verse five, it says, then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Very, very simply meaning this, telling us this for right now, don't be discouraged. Don't be downtrodden by what you see in these times that you are facing. Instead, be encouraged because God is God and he sits in the heaven. Heaven is his throne and the earth is his footstool. God has already set the beginning from the end. He already did it and there's nothing the enemy can do about it. God has already claimed victory over the enemy church. We're not waiting for God to receive a victory or to win it. He already won it. So that means we're living from a place of victory, not trying to walk and fight for victory. We've already received it in Jesus' name. No matter what the enemy does, God sits and laughs because he knows it doesn't matter that he is God, period. See, listen to me. There is a plan for eternity. God has already set the plan for eternity. The Bible says before the foundations of the world was formed, that the lamb of God was slain that the lamb of God was slain for the sins of the world. So before any of this ever started, God already said what the plan was. 
And there was nothing the enemy could do. And so the truth about eternity and the plan about eternity is greater, has to be greater than our reality that we're living right now. It has to be. We've got to realize that God is all powerful, that he is sovereign, that he has a plan and we trust him and we trust him. And so this is that Luke, this is that, that uh, Psalms chapter two, rage of, of why it's happening the way it's happening on the earth. It's the why behind the what, but you gotta look at Psalms chapter one. You have to read Psalms chapter one because the reality is, is what we are dealing with right now in our time, the crap we're having to walk through and endure every day is difficult. It, it, it really is, it's uncertain, it's uneasy, it's no fun. And again, all the things that we've talked about over these past several weeks make it seem very discouraging at times. And so, yeah, 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 we need to, to, to know what is happening and we need to know why it's happening, but we also need to know how we make it through it, how we're able to walk through all this crap that the enemy is throwing at us. Because if we don't know how, then we'll feel helpless and hopeless. And that's where a lot of people are right now. They're helpless and they're hopeless. They don't know how to deal with what all they're they're dealing with. And I believe Psalms chapter one, God tells us exactly how to deal with this Psalms two rage, how to deal with what we are walking through right now. And he gives us a strategy in heaven on how to battle the enemy right here on the earth. And we're gonna read it really quickly. This is what it says. Psalms chapter one, verse one says, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Blessed is the person who walks not in the council. Notice that. This is why it's so important to know what we are against and, and what we're fighting against. Who walks not in the, the council of the wicked. You know, I heard a person one time say this. They said, oh, the church should be known more for who they are for than for what they are against. And I understand that logic or that line of, of thought, right? I understand it, but I disagree with it in this sense. It's important to know both. We got to know, we got to know both. We've got to know what we are to stand against because that will help us to get to know the one that we are to stand for better than we know him now. This is what Psalms one is telling us right here. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. Simply telling us this, who we are walking with, who we are standing with, and who we are sitting with will speak volumes about who we are. We've got to be a choosy people. Very, very choosy. Choose who we walk with, who we who we listen to and who we sit with. We gotta be very choosy. See, the Bible says this, to guard your heart above all else. And if we are careful with those three areas in our, in our lives, it'll help to guard our hearts. Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of the sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scoffer. But his delight, someone shout his delight. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. 
Notice the psalmist starts off talking about what we are to stand against, transitions into what we are to stand for. This is what he does. And I love how he says this, how he says, but his delight, his delight is in the law of the Lord. His delight is in the word of God. The Hebrew word for, for, for delight is hepitz, which means literally to take pleasure in or to treasure greatly. See, if we want to be a people who are able to stand during these times that we find ourselves in, we better be a people who take pleasure in the word of God. A people who treasure the word of God. And if we do, we will run this race with endurance and we will receive the crown of life that God has promised to us. Verse three, he says, he is like a tree. He who delights in the word of God and meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree. Listen to me, church. We need to be trees right now. We don't need to be weeping willows. Like we need to be oak trees. We don't need to be being blown to and fro by all the storms of this life. We've got to be steadfast. Listen to me. Our kids depend on it and our communities are depending on it. That we're like trees. He who delights in the word, who finds his pleasure in abiding in the word. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, which literally means in every season in the Hebrew. Not a certain season, but in every season. If you delight in God's word, you meditate on his word day and night, you will produce fruit in every single season of your life. And its leaf does not wither. And all that he does, he prospers. So if we wanna see what blesses the heart of God, it's the word of God. Planted in his word, rooted in his word, delighting in his word. If we desire to have the favor of God on our lives, then the word of God must be the thing that we treasure in our lives. We've got to treasure it. Church, we need to, to start to break through this superficial Christianity, which, make, which makes it all about me. Oh, it's all about me and what I like and what I feel and how I'm doing. Like, we got to break through that and break into the deep things of God because the deep things of God cry out to the deep things of God, which is in the word of God where it makes everything about God and not about us. Where we sing that song, if it's a fragrance, I'll pour my oil out. If it's a life laid down, Father, I'll lay it all down to you. Right now, I make my vow to give you it all. If it's a song, I'll sing them all, Jesus. I just wanna move you. That's the deep things of, of God. Coming to that place. We've gotta be a people who hunger for the word of God. And here's the thing, here's what I've noticed about the enemy and I'm getting ready to close right here in a minute because I wanna pray for the kids before we close. I think it's important, but here's what I've, I've learned about the enemy over, over my years. Is the enemy loves to distract us away from delighting in his word. And one of the ways that the enemy's done it to me several times in my life over and over again was tell me I'm not good enough to delight in his word that the things I've done in my life hold me back from being filled by his word, by delighting in his word. The mistakes I've made, me not being able to live a, a perfect and holy life before God, he distracts me with that so I don't get into the word of God because I feel ashamed, I feel condemned by what I've done. I feel, 
I feel just, I feel awful. And so I don't get into the word of God. And God taught me a long time ago. He said to me years ago, he said, you can't clean yourself up to come to me. You come to me, I'll clean you up, son. Listen to me. We, if we come to him, he'll cleanse us. He'll cleanse us. And you ain't gotta be a holy and perfect and righteous person, the, the most holy, righteous person in the world, like to get into the word of God. You know, there's, there's ways that God cleanses us. And one of the ways that he cleanses us is by being fed by the word of God. I gave you an analogy one time. I can't remember when. It's been years ago that I gave this analogy. But if you have a 55-gallon a drum full of muddy water, one of the ways to empty it out would be just to dump it over, right? And just dump it out. Do you know another way would be to take a hose full of clean water, shove it down in. That clean water will begin to fill it up from the bottom. And what will happen is, is all that dirt, all that grime, all that garbage will come out and start to overflow out of it until the only thing that's left is, is pure water, completely clean. That's what the word of God does. We come to the word of God, we begin to read the word of God and we're all filled with all this other garbage in our life. Maybe it's addictions, maybe it's perversions, maybe it's, maybe it's all this other stuff. But as we begin to not allow the enemy to stop us from pressing into the word of God, God will begin to fill us and he'll begin to push out the addiction. He'll push out the perversion. He'll push out the doubts that are in our hearts. He'll push out all those lesser lovers that are trying to attach themselves to our hearts. He will, he will push out the depression, the suicidal thoughts and anxiety through the word of God, I promise. If you'll just choose to get into the word of God. We've got to develop this deep love affair with his word. We've got to be, we've got to get past this, this microwave society where we just want something quick. Listen to me, in order to, to experience the deep things of God, you can't get it at an impartation breakfast. You can't get it at a weekend of conferences. You cannot. It is a life devoted to the reading of his word. That's how you start to touch the heart of God. And listen, conferences and impartation breakfasts, I've drove to Tennessee for impartation breakfasts. I enjoy all that. That's great. And there is something to the laying on of hands and impartation. But listen to me. The things that last, the things that last is found in his word. And the only way to get that is to get in it, to sit down before God, get on your knees and say, Lord, open your word to me. It's the only way. Because listen to me, what you get at a conference, it will only last a couple days. And you know what? That ends up being a pep rally. We came to shout and ruha and whatever else, but nothing changed in my life after a couple days. I keep going back to the same old garbage. This is lasting change, his word. And his word will be the thing that guides us through this life. So hear me, hear me. Get into the word of God. Commit yourself this day. That, Lord, I'm going to get into your word. I may not understand all of it. I don't know, but, but God, I'm going to get into it. And ask him, God, reveal it to me. Reveal it to me. This time that we're in, yes, it's uncertain. What's happening around us is, can be very discouraging. But the word of God is the answer for it. This is how we make it through, church. This is how you make it through. This is how you make it through. This is how you become planted like a tree by rivers of living water. Is delighting in his word. And so I have a challenge for you. I've got a challenge for you. 
Make a commitment to someone right now to read his word every day. Not just some days, not just on the days you feel good to do it. And I don't care what you got to do to do that. I don't care if you got to get up a half hour early for work, whatever. Stay up a half hour late before you go to bed, but get into the word of God because there is no shortcuts. You've got to make the commitment then find somebody to hold you accountable. I found this, that my wife loves to hold me accountable. She loves it. She's thrilled with it. She's like, ha, ah, you didn't read, I did. You know, Praise God. Thank you, honey. It's not a competition, as I said. It's not a competition, we're together. Yeah. Until she don't do it. Then I, anyway. <clears throat> Your spouse will love to hold you accountable. Listen, I'll tell you, a great accountability partner is my kids. My kids will come up to me and say, Daddy, you didn't read tonight. That, Daddy, Daddy, you didn't pray for us tonight. I wish I could say I'm so great at being spiritual that I remember every night. I don't. I'm tired. Life is busy. And so, man, it's really good. My kids say, hey, Dad, Dad, come pray for me. You didn't pray. Let's open the Bible. You didn't read. They're great accountability partners. Now find somebody to hold you accountable. Have you been reading? Come on, let's read together. Let's challenge one another. That's why small groups are so important. In the men's group, challenging. In the women's group, challenging and encouraging and holding each other accountable. It's important. It's important to do so. Make a commitment to read the word of God. And if you do, I promise you, you will remain standing in any time, in any season that this life or that worthless devil will throw at you. You'll stand and you will prosper because that's what the word of God says. Amen.